Hello everybody, welcome to this episode. This is actually a redo of an earlier episode, just because there's a few things that I wanted to clarify and a few things that I wanted to uh, make sure were uh, a little bit, a little bit different. So this episode is teaching part number two of this podcast. Originally what I was going to do is I was going to go through each of the individual sets of perspectives, philosophies, etc. of uh, the Rocky Mountain Taoist. But I thought it would be a little bit much because the idea of this podcast is to sort of give an o- brief overview of the Rocky Mountain Taoist uh, school, but in really it's also to get the rubber hitting the road, so to speak, as far as uh, providing um, some content that may be useful for uh, you in your daily life, which is um, part of what this is really all about. So so without further ado, uh, I do want to begin um, by discussing sort of the, the canon of the Rocky Mountain Taoist as far as texts. So um, the perspective of the Rocky Mountain Taoist is not as far as texts and as a canon is concerned is not really the same as you would find in, you know, in Christianity, etc., infallible texts that, you know, never are deviated from, etc. Rather, the idea is to um, reference some texts that are beneficial, that are helpful, and um, there are some primary ones that speak of Taoism that really uh, I wanted to make sure were, were brought forward and um, which I have found helpful, and which hopefully uh, you might find helpful as well. And so, um, of course, probably the primary text of Rocky Mountain Taoism is the Tao Te Ching, which is um, the common textbooks, textbook, or a common textbook, I should say. Uh, reference, perhaps, would be a better way of putting it, for most Taoists. It's probably the intro text, the first text in Taoism that um, most people would engage with. There are literally thousands of different quote-unquote scriptures um, or important texts in Taoism, but probably this is the the most famous. And so uh, it was my first encounter as far as a, as a, as a text about Taoism outside of um, from the tradition itself, rather than other people writing about it. And so that is, that's probably the primary of primaries in the canon, is the Tao Te Ching. There are um, three other books that I personally find very useful, and which sort of make up the the quote-unquote canon of the Rocky Mountain Taoist. The first is um, Livia Cohn's uh, book, The Taoist Experience and Anthology. So this is, it has some... um, discussion about Taoist philosophy, etc., but it's also, it's an anthology, right? So it brings in a a variety of different scriptures and is referenced heavily by a lot, and certainly in terms of of, um, academic circles, but also it's it's very usable and it contains about 60 different translations of different texts um, covering the major concepts, doctrines, and practices of Taoism. So that is part of the canon. Number two is The Tao Made Easy by Alan Cohen. Um, You may know the name, um, A Course in Miracles is a book that he wrote, but he wrote a phenomenal practical um, work on Taoism in everyday life. 
And it's a beautiful text that I, I found really helped me engage with Taoist philosophy in an everyday, modern, 21st century context. And then finally, um, being Taoist uh, with wisdom for living a balanced, balanced life by Ava Wong. Um, that is, um, that's a, a key text. Now as well, do also reference and, um, and do include in the canon. Um, perhaps, um, maybe is a little bit more of a secondary text, but uh, a part of a, a primary text of, of Tao, as a, pardon me, a text in the canon of Tao, of Rocky Mountain Taoism, to be sure. Um, and that is Alan Watts. Um, and his work on Taoism. And so those are the five, uh, the five books that I personally reference and um, take time every, every year um, to read. Um, and I'll, you know, probably cover in, in another episode down the road exactly how that works out. But the Tao Te Ching is probably read, uh, I read it probably um, four times a year, probably once per per solar season, um, just to keep the concepts fresh. And then the other ones, at least, you know, would be once a year, maybe more, but once a year is the idea, because they do they bring some beautiful perspectives on Taoism. So that is a that's perhaps a unique feature of Rocky Mountain Taoism. Now, some of the philosophy, cosmology, theology of Rocky Mountain Taoism. Some of this may not necessarily be unique, but it may be a twist on what exists in other traditions and schools in Taoism. Taoism is not a, does not have a centralized dogmatic core, like for instance, Roman Catholicism or even Christianity, or for that matter, you know, um, other traditions, the other big traditions throughout the world. It is um, a tradition of teachers with various lineages and schools, common themes in the philosophy, to be sure. But there are different emphases, there are different, um, and sometimes there are additions to um, theological, philosophical, cosmological beliefs based on local tradition or the particular take of a, a teacher, etc. And Rocky Mountain Taoism is very much of the Western Canadian tradition, it is. Uh, it has that element of the culture to it, and so that influences my perspectives on Taoism, and I take a certain perspective in certain areas um, that is more, you know, Western than it is uh, out of the traditional Chinese. Some people may balk at that. Some people don't like that. But the reality is, is um, this is Taoism. The core tenets of Taoism are not disrupted. I would argue by taking. A Western perspective in certain areas. One of the primary um, elements that is unique to Rocky Mountain Taoism is the origin of the Tao. In most Taoist traditions, um, it's viewed, you know, there there is not really an origin of the Tao. Um, but in Rocky Mountain Taoism, we take a slightly different perspective. We believe in the concept of the Tao as far as all other Taoist schools or most other Taoist schools. Uh, in terms of being the impersonal, nameless, etc., uh, creator, you know, force of influence of the cosmos, etc., and um, you know that is that's no different. Where we take a slightly different perspective is where the Tao comes from, and and Rocky Mountain Taoism takes a particular philosophical position, which is the Tao is uh, perceived 
still to be impersonal, creative, the impersonal creative um, force in the universe, but the Tao is perceived to be impersonal creative echo proceeding forth from a creator, speaking reality into existence. So the analogy that we use is the Tao is like the echo that um, comes forth when somebody shouts in a canyon or in a hollow, you know, or in, a, in an empty, large empty room. Um, it originates with the shout, but it goes where it will. There is no, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's not necessarily any rhyme or reason to where it goes. It's, uh, it flows and reverberates. And where the echo, you know, in that analogy will die out over time, the down never dies out. It is the perpetual echo that continues, you know, the, the ordering, the perpetual ordering of the cosmos and the creative aspect of the cosmos. So in our perspective, then the creation arises from the echo itself. Um, the cosmos coming from the echo, which is the Tao. Um, what might not be expected, um, bringing a notion of a creator speaking and then the echo proceeding from that speech is that, oh, okay, so you're basically just saying that, you know, you worship a creator and the Tao is somehow secondary in all of this. As a matter of fact, no. This is, um, we take a very non-Western, non-Abrahamic religion perspective as far as this creator is concerned and the, the um, our, our perspective on the Tao, how we treat the Tao. So we focus on the Tao still. We're not worshiping the creator. We, we focus on the Tao. And we emerge from the creative Tao in its random creative and, uh, and uh, ordering sense of the universe. We still um, focus on the Tao. We may have a respect for the creator uh, there may be a degree of veneration for the creator, but the focus is on the Tao, just like all other Taoists. That's the primary focus. Um, bringing in the notion of a creator, then we, you know, we look at the question of divinities in general, as far um, as the Rocky Mountain School of Taoism. And Taoism, which is often surprising to many, um, has quote-unquote many quote-unquote gods or deities. Um, and one of the things about Rocky Mountain Taoism is that we prefer to avoid using the term God or deity in relation to these beings for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, God or deity in the Western mindset is very influenced by the perspectives of the Abrahamic traditions, which are so predominant in the West, you know, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Um, and that means something. Uh, to those Western, to the Western mindset, that is different from what is meant from gods or deities in the Taoist or Shinto perspective or Santeria perspective. Right? Um, we prefer to use the term saint because, um, although that is ostensibly from a Christian tradition, the concept of a saint, um, which other traditions use as well, other indigenous traditions that have similar concepts to Taoism and especially in relation to deities, such as Santeria, which comes from the West African Ifa tradition, the Yoruba traditions. They use the term saint as well. And the term is different than in Christianity, but it is, um, it, in some ways, it's a little bit more, 
It dovetails a little bit more than the term God or deity for us. Um, Saints, for our perspective, are in the universe. So they can have multiple origins. Some could have been former humans, some could have been spirit their whole existence, etc. But there are countless saints. They are not all powerful. They are in the universe. Um, And, you know, they arise from the Tao, right? Their origin is from the Tao. Now, what we do share in common with uh, Taoist, rather Taoist traditions and other indigenous traditions when it comes to these types of beings is that we believe the saints have a jurisdiction. They have sway, they have influence, they have patronage over certain cosmic principles or forces, certain geographical locations, mountains, rivers, towns, um, etc. And we call on them to help bring greater harmony to our lives and the cosmos and to help find balance and harmony in the world around us. And so that piece of it is not very different um, from, from traditional Taoism. One of the things that's unique about Rocky Mountain Taoism is that although we have, you know, we, we have no number, we have no idea how many of these saints there are, uh, Rocky Mountain Taoists have a devotion to particular saints that are in the avatar of animals. And they happen to be animals that, by and large, are located um, along the eastern slopes of the Rocky Mountains or in the near vicinity thereof. And therefore, we have um, a certain veneration for these beings. Now, these may be just avatars that we are putting on, saints that are venerated or worshipped or called upon by uh, other schools, but we use the avatar of the animals uh, in referring to these particular saints. So that's an important piece as well. Rocky Mountain Taoists have a bit of a different perspective in relation to the afterlife as well. Um, and a lot of it comes down to the nature of souls in an individual. And we believe and have the perspective that there are three souls within a person. The first soul is consciousness, or what we more commonly refer to as the spirit of the individual. Um, so this is our spiritual and numinous identity. Um, you know, it may eventually, you know, that is the portion of a person that may eventually become a saint or maybe reincarnated. It may evolve into some other spiritual state, etc. Um, but this is the full consciousness and spirit of the person. So the spirit is sort of that little bit more cosmic nature of uh, the, the, the soul that is more cosmic in nature. Second soul is the vitality, um, the vital force, the vital energy, the animating force. And this is, you know, we believe for everybody, it returns to undifferentiated chi. You know, the new energy of uh, becomes part of the re- recycled energy for new creation cosmically throughout the universe. Uh, which, and this is an unconscious spiritual soul, right? The third soul is what we refer to as the ghost. And we use specifically the term ghost for a reason. It's also referred to as the earth soul. And the idea is that when one dies, um, the ghost returns to the earth as a spiritual energy um, to rejuvenate and bring forth life and creation on earth. Now, if there is one reason, a reason, or if there's a matter of unfinished business, etc., the ghost may stick around as a ghost until that particular matter is concluded, at which point we believe that this third soul, the 
ghost, the earth soul, returns to the earth as spiritual energy to rejuvenate um, the energy of earth. And this is, you could say it's a partially conscious soul. Um, partially aware, partially not. Um, but this is where your ghosts come from in the world. Now, um, one of the things about Rocky Mountain Taoism, again, that's a little bit unique, comes to the question of morality. And unlike other traditions, certainly in the world, Rocky Mountain Taoism doesn't have lists or indices of virtues or vices, sins, um, you know, or just actions. Um, the reason is, is that in different circumstances, a sin might become a virtue. In uh, other circumstances, a virtuous quality may become sinful. They can switch back and forth based on the circumstances that are occurring. And so we tend to avoid vices or virtues because it also happens that certain very vices and certain virtues um, change with cultural perspective. They change with historical perspective. They change with psychological perspective. Um, and shoehorning morality tends to not go very well when you go outside of a particular culture, history, or psychology. And so we avoid vices and virtues as far as uh, naming them in lists in Rocky Mountain Taoism. What we do instead is we have a, a core morality principle. And it is this, that we seek to avoid the hurt, harm, and trauma of ourselves and of all, and instead work to enhance the life experience ourselves and for all the world that's it um and that is it is in line with the Taoist perspective but it is also flexible based on wherever we are um to enhance life experience which is a, a key Taoist uh, perspective right and that is uh that's the center of the moral code now um as was discussed in the first episode on this podcast one of the big features of Rocky Mountain Taoism is that it is an indigenous tradition. What makes it unique in Rocky Mountain Taoism, this perspective, because that's not a unique perspective in, in Taoism, um, what makes it unique for Rocky Mountain Taoism is that it establishes a little bit more of a syncretic dialogue between other indigenous traditions. So, for instance, First Nations in North America, South America, Perhaps other indigenous traditions, such as Ifa from West Africa, Shinto in Japan. And part of the Rocky Mountain School of Taoism is to dialogue and engage with these other traditions, to go outside the traditional Taoist perspective, to draw on these traditions, to cooperate with these traditions, and to respect these traditions, and to participate in certain elements of these traditions. Um, other schools of Taoism may do this to an extent, but this is um, a central charism, if you want to call it that, for Rocky Mountain Taoism. Rocky Mountain Taoism, um, many schools of, of Taoism have different emphases in terms of practice, things that they want to do. Some are emphasized meditation, some emphasize particular rituals, etc., etc. For Rocky Mountain Taoism, there are three jewel practices that are central core meditation, oracle cards, and um, which is a form of divination, and ritual. So meditation, um, all, all Taoist schools have a meditative school. One of uh, has a meditative tradition. 
we are no different. It is a central component of Taoist practice. Makes the Rocky Mountain Taoism a little bit a little bit different is that um, we are teachers of meditation. That's part of our our emphasis of practice. It's not only doing meditation, but also bringing it to others. Oracle cards. Um, this divination is not a. It's not a form of fortune telling. The idea is um, to receive messages through the cards to find balance in our lives and therefore help to bring balance to the lives of others and the world around us. Balance and harmony with ourselves, with our community, with our world, with the cosmos. And we use the oracle cards as, uh, as tools in that effort. And then finally, ritual. Um, we use ritual action to manipulate spiritual energies and to evoke, invoke saints to assist us to find balance within and bring harmony without um, and to those around us in the cosmos. It's all with an idea, all three of these practices and any Rocky Mountain Taoist practice is about finding that interior balance and then bringing it out to the world to help create global community cosmic balance. These are the key features that may be a little bit unique, a little bit different than other forms of Taoism. Now, Rocky Mountain Taoism... Um, also differs from some of the cultural perspectives. Our calendars uh, are a little bit different. Our, um, you know, when rituals may be performed, etc. Um, that may be a little bit different. Um, it's not as agrarian in nature um, as some, you know, more traditional Taoists um, texts and that would, would go on for. Um, but that's okay. That's, that's a little bit more of a cu- the cultural aspect of Taoism. The other key philosophical points about the nature of the Tao, about qi yin and yang, um, etc. These remain balance and harmony. These remain the same as any other Tao school.